Through good times and bad, and let's face it, they have mostly been bad, the Israelites have stuck together. This mob of nomads began their adventure as a mass of disenfranchised construction workers of Hebrew heritage working in the brickyards of northern Egypt. A regime change put an end to the bucolic lifestyle that had been enjoyed by the Hebrews since the days that Joseph's family settled in Egypt. The Bible records the miraculous acts that led to the mass exodus from Egypt. An Egyptian exile on the run from manslaughter charges sees a flaming bush while herding his in-laws' flocks. This is Moses, and he was born a Hebrew. After the flaming bush grabs his attention enough to be briefed by God, he returns to Egypt and, along with his brother Aaron, choreographs ten plagues which bring ruin down on Pharaoh, his people and his country. These plagues, readers are told, are the work of God and the end result is that the Israelites leave Egypt at night, en masse, never to return. They walk through an ocean, receive enough food for the day each morning, and God even provides water from dry rock. Those who were children at the time of the Exodus have spent 40 years in the desert. Most of the Israelites who have followed Moses to the border of the promised land of Canaan were born in the wilderness and never knew Egypt. But through all this time, despite rebellious moments, much grumbling and plenty of dropped balls, they have remained a cohesive unit until now. My name is Chaz Bayfield and this is Holy Bible episode 42, The Avenger. It's season finale time as we cruise to the end of the book of Numbers. And as with most of these early books of the Bible, there is no satisfying crescendo. For some, this is added to the book's veracity. After all, why embellish or add drama if the writers are simply describing what happened? And so, there are no neat happy ever afters or plot resolutions, simply some land allocation, rules in the event of accidental death, and a bit of a recap to help readers know where they are. If you're new to Holy Bible, welcome. This is the podcast that is almost impossible to search for on Google as it sounds too much like Holy Bible. I tell Alexa to play the Holy Bible podcast and who knows what I'll get. Not this, that's for sure. A case of a title that works when you see it, but not when you hear it. Oh well. Things you need to know. I'm an advertising creative director, not a priest or theologian, so do take everything with a large pinch of salt. I may be wrong. All quotes are taken from Zondervan's NIV UK edition Study Bible. Okay, let's cruise through the last few pages of the Bible's fourth book, the Book of Numbers. They may not have arrived in the Promised Land yet, but some of Israel's tribes take a shine to the prime real estate around the camp. The lush pasture lands across the river from Jericho are perfect for grazing livestock, and the leaders of the tribes of Reuben and Gad come to Moses and Eleazar with a request. They name nine towns that have been raided by Israel in the locale and suggest that these would make an ideal home. Their request is that they don't cross the Jordan with the rest of Israel, but settle here instead. This is disastrous news for Moses, who needs cohesion, not division. 
A fractured nation is a weak one, and he sees Reuben and Gad as no better than the mob who refused to settle Canaan years earlier, sowing doubt among the rest of the nation and earning Israel an extra 38 years in the desert. These tribes want to splinter off, leaving a depleted Israel to fight all comers in their ambition to settle the land which God promised to them, and Moses is having none of it. He tells Reuben and Gad that they risk arousing God's fury once again, ensuring that everyone is left to die here in the wilderness. As no's go, it's a pretty clear one. To their credit, the two tribes refuse to be defeated and seek to clarify their position with their leaders. Their plan is to build cities for their women and children and enclosures for their animals, but for their men to march ahead of Israel, armed for battle. They pledge their willingness to continue fighting until the entire nation is settled, stating their hope to return here to live on the eastern shore of the Jordan once the conquest has been a success. Satisfied, Moses allows the tribe of Reuben and Gad to settle here on the proviso that they live up to their promises. A failure to follow through is a crime against God, he says, and one which brings its own consequences. Moses passes the information on to Eleazar and the other tribal heads, with the caveat that if they don't join in with Israel's battles, Reuben and Gad should accept whatever tribal land they are allocated west of the river. Now that these two tribes have assured Moses that their allegiance is with the team and that they are not going alone at the expense of the nation's future success, they are promised the entire territory that once belonged to the two kings, Og and Sihon. Half of the tribe of Manasseh is also allocated land here in what is known as the Transjordan, and the belief is that Manasseh's soldiers were instrumental in the defeat of Og and Sihon and so deserve to be given land here. Readers are told that Gad builds up and fortifies eight cities east of the river, while Reuben rebuilds six, all of which are renamed. Meanwhile, the half-tribe of Manasseh has plenty of adventures of its own. The half-tribe suggests that Manasseh is only half a tribe, perhaps making a complete tribe when paired with Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim were the sons of Joseph. That would make sense of there being 12 tribes of Israel. But, whatever way you dice it, there are actually 13 tribes of Israel. As the favoured son of Jacob, Joseph gets two, one for each of his sons. And so in the Bible, the half-tribe of Manasseh doesn't ever mean that Manasseh is not a tribe in its own right. It simply refers to the part of Manasseh that settles east of the river, in the region known as Gilead. There appears to be no obvious reason why Margaret Atwood chooses to name her dystopian republic Gilead in The Handmaid's Tale. The book is littered with Bible references, but actual Gilead plays a relatively unremarkable and generally benign role in the Old Testament and fails to appear at all in the New. Two of Manasseh's warriors, Jair and Noba, conquer settlements in Gilead and name them after themselves. The bulk of Israel has yet to cross over into Canaan, but the conquest and settlement has well and truly begun. As Israel prepares to dive into the Promised Land, the Book of Numbers recaps the journey so far. According to the book, 
Moses chronicles each stage of the Israelites' journey, from their original start point of Ramesses in northern Egypt, where the mass of freed slaves walked towards Sukkoth, past the grim spectacle of a nation burying its dead firstborns. The book details an astonishing 42 stages, during which time the people set up camp and take it down again. A little colour is added to some of the station stops, perhaps to serve as memory joggers. Camp 6 is at Elim, with its 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Camp 11 is at Rephidim, where, according to the account in Exodus, Moses strikes a rock to produce water. Camp 33 is at Mount Hor, where Aaron dies aged 123, 39 years after the Israelites leave Ramesses. If, as most Jews, Muslims and Christians believe, this is an accurate and historical account, it stands as one of the most remarkable people movements in history, as over 2 million people spend 40 years in transit through some of the Middle East's most inhospitable territory, bringing with them all their livestock and other property. At the border of Canaan, the book describes how Moses receives orders from God to drive out the local tribes, to destroy their idols and demolish any altars to foreign gods. They are to colonise the region, distributing territories by casting lots, with the larger tribes receiving more land and the smaller ones less. They are warned that, should they fail to eradicate all the current inhabitants, their lack of thoroughness will come back to bite them. These locals will become, quote, barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side, and God will do to Israel what he planned to do with Canaan. According to the book, God then allocates the land boundaries for the remaining nine and a half tribes who are settling west of the River Jordan, much of which lies in a 100-mile strip bordered on the west by the Mediterranean and which stretches from the south of the Dead Sea to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Place names no longer in use add vivid colour to the borderland. The Desert of Zin, the Scorpion Pass and the Wadi of Egypt all delineate the edges of Israelite territory. The Scorpion's Ascent, Route 227, is an Israeli road that correlates to the biblical Scorpion's Pass. Today, the road has no guardrails and in places has precipitous drop-offs, making it a mecca for extreme drivers. With two and a half tribes settled east of the Jordan, or towards the sunrise as the Book of Numbers puts it, Joshua and Eleazar are left to assign land to the remaining clans. To help them do this, one leader from each tribe is appointed, among them Caleb, the scout who brought back a positive report from Canaan with Joshua 38 years earlier. Significantly, the Levites are left out of the territorial carve-up, but it appears that this tribe has been far from forgotten, as the book launches into a detailed allocation of towns for Israel's holy men and their families. As they won't be farming, engaging in commerce or otherwise earning enough money to live, the Levites are treated separately to the rest of Israel's tribes. The Book of Numbers chronicles how God commands the Israelites to provide their priestly brothers and sisters with cities in which to live. The area surrounding the walls of each of these cities measures around 50 acres, which provides plenty of pasture for the Levites to graze their animals. For those of you unfamiliar with imperial measurements, the metric conversions are in the show notes. 
Six of these cities are to be set aside as cities of refuge, towns where anyone who has accidentally killed someone can escape to until the dust settles and a proper trial can be arranged. The book goes on to explain what constitutes accidental death, but first it sets out how Israel's larger tribes must hand over a greater number of cities for the Levites to live in than its smaller ones. As for the cities of refuge, three should be here to the east of the river, while the other three should be in Canaan. Accidental death needs to be accidental. Bludgeoning someone with a blunt object until they are dead is murder, and the punishment for this is death. According to the message given to Moses, the family of the dead person should appoint what the book calls the Avenger of Blood, whose job it is to kill the murderer. Similarly, Causing death by pushing someone, throwing a missile at them or punching them is a capital crime and the culprits are to be dispatched by the avenger of blood. Moses must shudder when he is given this information by God as this is exactly the crime he committed when he saw an Egyptian overseer beating a Hebrew worker back in Egypt. He attacked the Egyptian so violently that the man died before escaping across the border to Midian. The Bible adds a clause that death should only happen when the avenger and the perpetrator meet, suggesting some kind of hunt where the avenger tracks down his prey like an Old Testament detective. However, the avenger is only called when a case of murder is clear-cut. Some deaths are truly accidental. A clumsy push, a misthrown object or a dropped stone can all kill a person with no harm intended. In this instance, the killer can hole up in a city of refuge, safe from any avenger. They can remain here until the serving high priest dies, at which point they may return home. Why the death of Israel's religious leader should cancel out any perceived wrongdoing is uncertain, but should the asylum seeker nip out before this time, they are considered fair game. As with many of God's diktats, the understanding is that this rule applies forever for everyone in Israel. There are regulations around this law, however. Only those whose crime has two or more witnesses can be sentenced to death. The testimony of one witness is not seen as robust enough to convict anyone. No one is to be bought off by a murderer or their family. A death sentence for killing someone unlawfully is a death sentence. Nor can killers living in cities of refuge be bailed. They must remain holed up until the high priest dies. Despite the number of deaths in the Bible's first five books, God tells his people that bloodshed defiles Israel. Any land where someone has been murdered can't be made clean by animal sacrifices. The rule is that only the death of the murderer makes it pure again. The reason given for this is that God lives among the Israelites, which is why defiling the land with murdered corpses is considered a complete no-no. Rather than rise to a climactic crescendo, the Book of Numbers ends with more of a footnote, detailing resolution for Zelophehad's daughters. Listeners will remember these women from episode 40. Their father has no sons and they petition Moses to allow them to inherit the land that would have been their father's once they reach Canaan. A group of men from a clan which forms part of the tribe of Manasseh approach Moses and the rest of Israel's leadership. They remind their leaders that God has given permission for the inheritance of their brother Zelophehad to pass to his daughters. 
but they have a question. They are concerned that their ancestral lands will be lost should any of the women marry outside of their tribe. If this happens, Zelophehad's land will become property of another tribe come the year of Jubilee, they say. The year of Jubilee is a fabulous factory reset that occurs every 49 years in ancient Israel, where all property reverts to its original owners and all slaves are set free. I go into detail about this in episode 33. Moses consults God, then addresses the leaders. Tribal land appears to be sacred, and the rule is that no land can pass from one tribe to another if a man dies leaving only daughters to inherit his property. That means women like Zelophehad's daughters may only marry within their clan. Even choosing a partner from elsewhere in their tribe is forbidden. It seems that families are to keep hold of land within a clan, almost as if it is the land that gives a family or clan its identity, and that God associates land with the people who live on it. Clearly not ones to rock the boat, Zelophehad's daughters marry cousins on their father's side, keeping their inheritance very much in the family. With that, the Book of Numbers ends. It's been a stop-start adventure, not unlike the travails of the people whose journey it chronicles. Two and a half tribes have split away and are about to make the most of it in the lush pasture lands east of the River Jordan, in the land that was recently snatched away from the Canaanite chieftains Og and Sihon. Confident that these tribes will assist with the conquest before settling down in their new home, Moses has consented to the move. With the scene now set for the Israelites to finally step into the paradise promised to them over half a millennium earlier, it must be a huge temptation simply to run in and grab what they can. But there is plenty of housekeeping to take care of before anyone moves on or goes home, enough to fill an entire book of the Bible. Holy Bible Season 5, Deuteronomy, is next. Holy Bible is written and produced by me, Chaz Bayfield, with music by Michael Old and John Hawkins Music. Cover art is by Lisa Goff. See you next time, and remember, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. That's Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, Bible, B-U-Y-A-B-L-E. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. Music